I'm Maida Getman, and welcome to Infertility Crossroads. I'm a mom to donor-conceived twins, and I went through eight rounds of fertility treatment before finally becoming pregnant with my two girls. I'm also a donor conception coach and founder of The Donor Downlow, a self-paced online program for people who are at the crossroads of donor conception and wondering which path is right for them. Perhaps you're like me, you thought having a baby would be easy, yet here you are every day, week, and month having to make big, scary, and radical decisions about what your future might look like. I call it the infertility crossroads. Whether you're just getting started on your fertility journey, have been trying for years, or are headed down an alternative path, you are welcome here. Join me each week where I will walk alongside you through all the infertility crossroads. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome back to Infertility Crossroads. I am your host, Maida Getman, and I am super excited for the episode today. I have Haley here with me and she and I met on Instagram and honestly, this is the first time we're talking in person in real life and I'm so excited. I have been following Haley for probably a year. Um, She is donor conceived and has donor conceived children and has the most amazing perspective on both being conceived via donor and what that's like, and also being a parent of donor conceived kids. So Haley, welcome to the show. Welcome to talking to me. Thank you for having me on. And it's really lovely to actually get to meet you properly. Like you say, we've we've uh, had some sort of virtual conversations, haven't we, over the last year, but it's lovely to actually get to get to meet you properly. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yes, of course, of course. So I'm just going to open us up. Can you share, I mean, I gave a little bit of an intro of who you are, but can you share in your own words who you are, what you do, why you're here? Sure. So I say my name's Hayley. Um, I was raised uh, in the United Kingdom in a mum-dad family, sort of very traditional setup. Um, I was told from quite a young age that I was an IVF baby uh, which was quite unusual for someone of my age um, without giving my exact age away I was born <laughs> in the early 80s um, so IVF was brand new technology and my parents were one of the first um, cohorts of people to do all the early IVF trials at the first IVF clinic in Cambridgeshire uh, UK so I was told that from a really young age it was a real sort of celebrated story growing up um, and then it wasn't until very, very much later in life in 2015 that I actually found out that as part of that procedure, my parents had used anonymous donor sperm um, and that actually the, my dad that raised me wasn't genetically related to me. So that was back in 2015. We can talk a little bit more about that, but it, it was obviously a huge shock to find that information out. So late in life, by this point, I was in my 30s. Um, and then, like I say, later on then, uh, my wife and I, so I'm in a same-sex relationship. So my wife and I wanted to start our family. So a few years later, we welcomed our boy-girl twins into the world um, in 2017. And more recently, I've been just speaking about my story, I suppose, of being both the donor-conceived person and the recipient parent. I love how we have very different lives. We grow, we live in different countries. We grew up in, you know, similar house, but I'm not donor-conceived. And yet, like, we both have twins who are almost exactly the same age, and we both are doing work to help others in 
who are going through this process of using a donor. And it's always amazing to me how people talk negatively about social media, but social media has been such a gift to be able to connect with and meet people from like, we never would have met without social media. I just love it so much. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. And I particularly like in Instagram. I mean, I've, I'm brand new to Instagram, really. I've only been on it just over a year. And if you'd have said to me, you know, I've always been a Facebook person. Um, <laughs> and I kind of ventured over into Instagram following an interview that I did for somebody else. Um, and then kind of my 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 um, page or account or whatever you want to call it kind of just, um, you know, stayed on from there. But yeah, it's just great, I think. And it just shows how wonderful it can be. I mean, there's lots yeah. of negative sides to it, obviously. But I think it does... I think Instagram in particular opens up the opportunities to see people's lives, you know, actually see people talking on camera, um, finding out about, you know, what, you know, what they've done at the weekend and things like that. And I think it really helps sort of kind of build those connections in a positive way. Totally, totally. Well, and it helps too. at least it has for me. You know, when, when we first decided to use a donor, I thought I, and this sounds silly, but I actually believe this. I thought that I was going to have this like, visual stamp on my face that was like my children are donor conceived and like they were gonna it was gonna be really obvious and it was gonna be this like huge thing and I really thought that that was gonna be the case so being able to be exposed to other families and other people who have chosen to build their family this way other people who are donor conceived and getting to meet them be like no we're all just people we're all just trying to figure out this life together Um, we have different paths and challenges and things that we're facing, but I I thought there was going to be a mark and there hasn't been in like a, this like physical sense. I don't know. It sounds silly, but that's no, not at all. No, I totally, yeah, I totally get it. Um, and it's nice that you've been able to find people like part of your community and other members. And then also in the wider donor conception community, which is what I found, you know, I've had the opportunities to speak with different types of you know, people that have donated maybe at a similar time to when uh, my parents were going through treatment. Um, I've spoken to, you know, all types of parents with all types of um, different types of donor conception surrogacy. But yeah, it's been it's been a fantastic experience. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to go back a little bit to when you learned that you were conceived using an anonymous sperm donor. Um, can you share a little bit about that experience, that story? What happened? How, how did that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, it was it was obviously a huge shock. Um, it, it came in a time in my life where I was having a lot of upheaval, to put it mildly. Anyway, I, I'd had a very nasty accident at work. Um, I was a search um, diver for the, for the police force in the UK he, over here, and I was involved in quite a bad accident, which meant I was um, had to go through lots of rehabilitation and, and sort of lots of medical treatments and things. Um, and I was actually staying with my parents at the time whilst I was going through that rehab and my, my wife was also living with us too. Um, and yeah, it came out sadly in a, in a family argument. Um, mm. but, and essentially I, I questioned my dad about the argument and he, he, he sort of broke down and, and obviously the truth came out then that actually they'd used, you know, a donor as part of the, the treatment. And yeah, I mean, it was, just, I think the first thing I just didn't know what to think. It was like um, the yeah. rug completely pulled from beneath me. Um, my dad and I have got a very, very close relationship. We were very close, you know, when I was growing up, very, very similar in personalities. We're both very sporty and 
you know, um, although I got on well with my mum, it was always me and my dad that would go off at weekends and he would follow all my sporting pursuits and drive me to all the tournaments <laughs> and like that, as, as parents do. Um, and yeah, I was I was pretty devastated, actually, because I felt like I'd lost a kind of connection with my dad in a weird kind of way, even though he was still my dad. Um, yeah. And I think because I had so much going on in my life at the time with all my career stuff and my health, I kind of put that situation in a box. Hmm. Um, I kind of, we, we did actually do a paternity test um, okay. when those results come back, just to check, because obviously back in the 80s, it was, my parents were told that donor sperm was used, but there was obviously an element potential, you know, an element of doubt there. So I wanted to know 100% whether, um, you know, I, I was donor conceived. And obviously that came back that I was that test. Um, and then I kind of sat on it for a couple of years, really didn't really do much with that information. Um, and back in 2015, like DNA testing wasn't really that prevalent. Um, yeah, it was only when my wife and I started to consider having our own family, it kind of mm. made me a bit more curious, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. How is your relationship with your, your dad, the, the dad that raised you? How is that relationship now? It's really good. And actually, it's probably stronger than it's ever been. Um, I think, you know, I I have a lot of, um, I don't know if compassion is a word, but for my parents sort of growing, you know, with me growing up as a young child, them having, they had like almost seven years of infertility problems. I didn't, I don't think they ever thought they were going to be parents to then have me as, you know, like the miracle child, I suppose, really in that sense, because my mum had fertility issues as well that's why they both ended up obviously having to have IV, you know IVF with a donor uh-huh. um and I think that it must have been really difficult for them so I've, I've kind of tried to put myself in their shoes and what that would have been like obviously the information was different back then you know yeah. parents were told not to tell so I think that we've had lots of chats you know as a family since um lots of difficult conversations I'm not gonna dress it up it's not been easy yeah lots of, you know I felt you know, to a degree that um, I don't like to use the word lie, but I felt like I was lied to, um, mm-hmm. even though I understand the reasons why. So, yeah, I mean, th- there's been all that to work through, but actually I think we've come out the other side and things are a lot more positive, um, even though it's been, well, it's been now sort of seven or eight years, you know, that those seven or eight years, lots has gone on in that time, but it's all been moving in the right direction. And, and like I say, overall, I feel like we've got a very good relationship. That's my mum and my dad, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like all of you have been willing to talk and hash stuff out and have those conversations versus not, right? Yeah. Because... Yeah, I, yeah it's, it's, I would say at the start, that probably wasn't the case so much. I think it yeah. was a huge... I, even though it did sort of come out in an argument, a disclosure, I don't don't think my parents ever imagined that secret was going to come out. Um, so I think they've sat on that for 40 years nearly. Um, so for them to then suddenly have to deal with it must have been a real change of mindset because they because I, I, you know, I've since had chats with them and they said there was, you know, periods of time, years and years and years that they wouldn't even think about it. It was kind mm-hmm. of almost. And that was what the doctors told my parents to do, you know, go, go away, pretend it never happens. You don't need to think about it. Um, so to then suddenly have to talk about it because I'm asking questions. <laughs> and then certainly, you know, later on, a few years down the line, then when I DNA tested, obviously there was more conversations to ha- happen then because I was very mindful that I wanted to be honest with them about what I was doing. But yeah, like, again, I, I would say it's been a progression. It, it wasn't yeah. always from the start, but I'm very glad that 
it's gone in the right direction. <laughs> you know, I talk about this a lot with my clients and on my podcast and just in general, but I think my opinion is a lot of this process of being parents of donor conceived kids and even, you know, like your parents who had kept this secret for a really long time. We look back and we say like, we did the best we could with the information that we had at the time, but that we can learn new information. We can get new information. We need to be open to learning as we all learn different things and being willing to step into the discomfort, Mm -hmm. being willing to take the new information and go, oh man, like, If I had known that then, I probably wouldn't have done this now, you know, done this, knowing that you can't change the decisions that you made. You can't go back in time and fix it. But what you can do is work through it now. You can explore, you can make changes now or do what you need to do now. And being willing to do that, I think, is so important and such a key in the decisions that we make around using donor and that. We really are in the wild, like the wild frontier of donor conception, right? Like when we, when we picked our donor seven years ago, Instagram didn't exist like it did. I didn't have nearly any information, the same information that I have now. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine doing this 40 plus years ago when no one else was doing it, right? Like. No one was doing IVF even. Yeah, uh, I mean, know, my no mom, one was doing IVF. Yeah, my mum, my mum's told me stories that they were snuck out the back, literally out the back door of the labs because there was so much um, controversy, controversy, sorry, over, I can't speak, <laughs> um, <laughs> need another coffee, um, over IVF because it was, you know, they had a lot of um, religious groups that were against, mm-hmm. against it. Um, obviously it was seen it wasn't the natural way to have children and it's really hard to believe now you know in 2022 that that was the attitude but it really was and of course um, you know so when I try and think about all the things that my parents have had to go through that was one of it you know just the, the thought that they had to they couldn't tell any of their family you know the friends that they were having treatment because the, the clinic were very worried about, um, you know, certain people finding out about where, mm. you know, the um, all the, the tests and uh, all the procedures and that were taking place. So it, it was all very sort of, we call it a, sort of hush hush in the UK. And yeah, so let alone using a donor, um, you know, that would have been a whole different thing um, together again. And I think the other thing with my parents as well is that that they were told that sperm was mixed. So mm-hmm. without going into the gory details, they, they were told that my yeah. dad's sperm was mixed with that of the donors. And that the theory was that the the more that, you know, the better donor sperm would somehow help my dad's sperm, you know, some way. But there was there was a chance that obviously it wouldn't take and it would be donor sperm. So it was all this kind of like cloak and dagger descriptions they were given by the doctors. Um, and then of course DNA testing wasn't even yeah possible till sort of the late 90s anyway so for them to have even you know to, to have gone down the route of even testing me would have been you know I would have already been sort of in my late teens by then mm-hmm. so yeah there's lots of things it's, it's all very different and I think like you say even in the seven years since you know we started having treatment too my wife and I um things have progressed dramatically in terms of the information which I think is a really good thing um mm-hmm. actually yeah I mean I I agree 100 percent the more we learn, the more information we have, it's making all of us better. And that's just what we, I want for my kids, right? Like I want my kids to live in a world where donor conception isn't 
as hard to talk about as it is now, or that kids, you know, they can meet other kids who have known since the, from the very beginning and, mm-hmm. and getting to be part of changing that as a recipient parent and speaking into that is something I feel really privileged to be part of, but it also comes with, you know, we made decisions with not as much information as we have now. And so kind of wrestling mm-hmm. through some of that. So the donor, the donor your parents used was anonymous. When you did DNA testing or since then, have you been able to, or have you wanted to find out who the person is who donated sperm to your parents? Yeah, I mean, it was it was actually when our children were two years old that I DNA tested. So it was only in 2019. Um, and I think it was actually having kids made me curious about my own situation. Um, even though our children aren't genetically related to me, we use my wife's eggs. But I think we were getting to the stage where the twins were starting to talk and we were like, right, well, how are we going to do this differently, you know, with our <laughs> with our children? Um, and it got me really just curious. Um, and that would probably be the strongest word I would used to describe what I felt and then DNA testing became um, an opportunity for me to, to do that so um, yeah I, I like I say I I submitted my DNA and through extensive genealogy work it wasn't quite straightforward um, I was expecting to get matched with like loads of siblings and all this <laughs> kind of thing but actually it was a little bit of a tumbleweed moment when I opened up my ancestry <laughs> results um and there wasn't really a lot there but I was able to like I say my wife was amazing we we literally sat down every night for a number of weeks when the kids were in bed and worked through family tree work and public records and we were able to narrow down who um my parents sperm donor so my genetic father was to a set of brothers um yeah and then in early 2020 then I was able to just before lockdown actually um I don't do things by halves (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, I was able to reach out to him and he confirmed. So his name's Jonathan, um, which is what I call him. Um, yep. And he confirmed that, yeah, he was a sperm donor in the early 80s. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're in touch and have been ever since. Okay. And how has that been for you being in touch with him? Yeah. Do you know what? It's actually, it's been great. I mean, originally I just wanted a photograph. That's why. And some medical history was kind of my motivations, like the curiosity side of things. Mm-hmm. Um and but he turned out to be a really nice guy and we get on very well whether that's because we share genetics or just because we get on well I you don't know but we do and I think that's kind of like like anybody in life if you get on well with someone you want to stay in contact with them and we we have done and yeah it's just gone really well it's it's kind of we see each other you know every few months I suppose or we'll just text or whatever like that but it's, it's quite sort of loosely connected in that way but it's really changed I think my wife and I's perspective about maybe how our children may feel about mm. um you know their genetic father you know the donor that we've used and whether or not you know how maybe we can you know maybe talk about him a bit more within our family and not be frightened by the donor and not feel threatened and that if our children are curious, because they might not be, but if they are, then how best we can kind of support them in that. And I think meeting Jonathan and working through that situation with myself and my wife coming through that journey with me, obviously as a family, I think we've kind of then been able to reflect back maybe how we can sort of maybe do things with the twins. So what are some of those things that you have reflected on that you are maybe doing differently or want to do differently related to your own children being donor conceived? I think the the main thing is that I think originally being an LGBTQ family as well, we were 
probably would have just been like the donors, just the donor kind of um, attitude, um, which, you know, I understand. And we certainly don't go as far as using terms like dad in our household, because I think that would be quite confusing for our children. But we haven't kind of shied away from terms like genetic father and things like that. Um, we do use the term donor um, and, and just being a little bit more open minded a little bit about how our children may feel. So we may feel different as parents about the donor that we've used, but maybe just holding a little bit of space for some wriggle room, I suppose, for our kids and how they may feel and what terms they might like to use as they grow older. Um, but still being mindful of the age and not to confuse, because yeah. as you know as well, made a, you know, our children are still young and it's it's difficult if our, uh, you know, to grow up to want to refer to the donor as, you know, donor dad or even, you know, whatever it may be, some kind of father figure, whatever they want to say, we'll right. respect that. But I think using certain terms at this age is quite difficult because to our children at five, the term dad means somebody's that's going to turn up at family gates, you know, at the school gate, sorry, you know, as yep. part of the family, which isn't our situation. So, yeah, it's just kind of just trying to balance out those kind of perspectives, I suppose. And do you guys have access, like, do you know who the donor, who your donor was, who you used to conceive your kids? Like, do you know this person, like, have access to contact information? Are you in contact with him? No. So we had treatment in the UK. Um, so we actually used an open ID at 18 okay. donor. So we did look um, at known donation, but we uh, we didn't really have many suitable candidates, to be honest. <laughs> and I think there is a huge difference between a known to you donor and a known donor so obviously yes. if someone's listening you know some people do match with people on the internet in facebook groups and things like that which is fine and it can work out very well but for us we didn't really feel comfortable doing that and the only known to us individual that we potentially could have used had some medical problems which we were a bit worried about so yeah we actually went down the route of an open id at 18 which means that our children can request identifying information of the donor uh, when they turn 18 and because in the UK, actually, that is the law. You can't use fully anonymous donors if you're having treatment at HFEA clinic. But we have considered, you know, options. Um, I mean, we've actually connected with our children's donor siblings. So other families that have used the same donor as us, which has been a fantastic experience. Um, and we recently met with some of those families in person in the summer. Um, and we have considered DNA testing, but I think at this stage we, we've not ruled it out, but we're not, we've sort of decided as a family, it's not something we're going to do at the moment. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So we used an anonymous egg donor to conceive mm. our kids. And, you know, I share a lot about how if we, if I was to do it differently or do it again, I wouldn't have used anonymous because ours is full anonymous, not even ID at 18. And it's been interesting because, so your kids are five, mine are six. Just recently, they've started to ask some questions. One of mine has started to ask some mm. questions about the donor. Mostly, do you know her name? What's yeah. her name? Yeah. Um, which I think is very normal for her age, right? Yeah. Like kids know people by their names. And so mm. who's this donor? What's her name? And I've I've had to say, like, I don't know what her name is. Mm. Um, but to your point about we've decided as well not to do genetic testing on them now it they it feels young to me to send off their dna to ancestry.com or something like that to try to figure it out but now i feel like we're faced with the a unique not a unique but a situation where 
how do I start to track down some of this information when she was, you know, seven years ago when we were doing this, she was anonymous. And I know you, you have done a lot of searching and digging for your own donor um, or biological father. For someone like me who is thinking, I want to be able to find, maybe find our donor or find out more information about our donor, even just her name so that I can start answering some of these questions for my kids. Do you have any like tips or tricks or, or ideas for how someone could go about doing that? Well, I mean, the main one is, is if you are looking for information, it is DNA testing. That is probably the biggest one with anonymous donation. Um, But and I, it's funny you say about the name. I mean, that is one of the big things. And it's something you don't really think about, really. We didn't really, even being donor conceived myself. Like when we looked at having children, it's only when you get the practical questions coming from your kids asking, <laughs> like, well, what's his name? And it seems like the most basic question. And I would love, I think I would love, you know, that was one thing, even though I don't um, regret using an open ID donor at all. Um, the one thing I would like to have an option would have been a name. Um, mm-hmm. to be able to, to, to provide that. I mean, we've got an extensive profile and things like that. So that's been very helpful in photographs and things. But yeah, the name thing is, is a biggie. And it, and, it, and it is something that I think is something that you probably don't really think about until you've had children about the fact when you do use an anonymous or an open ID donor, that that is kind of the situation you're faced with. But yeah, going back to your original question, if you are looking for more information, I would always go back to your clinic or your sperm bank or egg bank as a first port of call um, and ask for information. I think some people are sometimes a little bit um, intimidated or a little bit afraid to go back to their clinic. Um, But yeah, always ask the questions because you you don't know what information they've got on file. And depending on where you are in the world or the clinic that you've used or the bank that you've used, they will all have their own policies, procedures, and the ways about doing things, um, which can be frustrating, but <laughs> as well as it being you, your clinic or bank or, or, or sperm bank that you've used may have a facility that they can reach out to the donor. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that that is dependent on the laws of the country that you've used as well, depending on whether it's you know illegal to use certain types of donors and things. But yeah, definitely go back and ask questions. Um, there are certain Facebook groups, again, sort of going back um, to social media, people who set up with the intention of matching, whether that's with siblings or um, with donors. Um, so, and you've got obviously like the donor sibling registry, which is another one. Yep. Um, so these are all things you can do, I suppose, away from DNA testing. Um, but yeah, essentially, I think you've, each family's kind of got to make their own choice if they are going to go down that route. Because I think for me and for my family, um, we, we, you know, my wife and I have talked a lot about it. And I think, Having DNA tested myself, I know firsthand how amazing it can be. Mm-hmm. But once you've done those tests, it can be quite difficult to shut the door if it maybe doesn't work out the way you want. Or, And I think the other thing is once you've got that information, you've got to make a decision what you're going to do with it. Because, say, I, I know of situations where people have got that information, say, on a donor or siblings, and they've withheld that information from their children for, for a number of years. And that in itself can cause problems because although you've got the information, you've then not told your children. So it's all, it's not just as straightforward as sending totally. your swab off. You know, there's lots of things to consider. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point about that. Everything about using a donor to conceive 
children and to bring humans into the world because our donor conceived children are not going to stay children, right? They're going to turn into adults with their own thoughts and feelings and become independent humans, which is what we would hope for them. But a lot of using a donor and being comfortable using a donor is about doing your own work. It's about you as the parent feeling comfortable with your decisions, feeling confident in your decisions, because when you are, if, if you're feeling ashamed or you're feeling scared or you're feeling like you want to withhold information, that's not great for your kid. And so Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to, and I talk about this a lot with my clients, you have to be willing to do the hard work of grieving the loss of your own genetics, grieving the loss of this isn't the way I wanted my family, you know, for my clients, I, I thought it was going to look like building my family. Am I feeling scared or whatever those things are? We have to work through those things because if we don't, to your point, when you get that information about the donor, if you're not willing to share it, and then now you're just withholding different information, right? Mm. You're not withholding how they were conceived, but you're withholding other information, which can also not be great for our kids. So it's just, I think this constant learning, growing, evolving process for recipient parents of doing that work on themselves so that they can then share that information and, and be excited about really what I've learned for myself is our donor. When I first went down this path, our donor was someone that I was truly scared of, scared of. I was intimidated. I didn't want her to replace me as the mom. I was worried like she would, my kids would see her as the mom and not me and all of those things. But now that I've learned and, and become more comfortable and worked through that shame and guilt and fear and all of those things, I feel like my kids are super lucky because they get a bonus person. It took Mm. three people to create them, not just two. And they, they are who they are because of all three because of the donor and the egg and the genetics that started them, but also me and the influence that I have in their life and their, their father too. Like how mm. cool is it to have a bonus? No, definitely. And I think each child when uh, that will become an adult will feel differently about that kind of conception story. And, um, you know, I've met a range of donor conceived people. Obviously I'm late discovery donor conceived person, but I've met people that have known since birth. Um, people that have found out a lot later than me, um, even within my own sibling groups, I've got my own genetic half siblings and we all feel very, very differently about our Mm. stories because we've all, I suppose, either been raised differently or we're just individual people, aren't we? So yes, um, it's kind of just being aware that, um, you know, if our children do want to know more or are curious that I suppose, you know, I've kind of, my, my wife and I have made the decision. We just want to maybe support our kids as, as best we can. Um, and that necessary. I think sometimes I certainly, I do see it. Um, you know, people, even when people use an open idea, 18 donor, I think at the start, it's a little bit like, well, we don't have to worry about that for 18 years because <laughs> it'll, it'll just, you know, that, that sort of bit in between doesn't really matter, but I think, you know, it really does. And those conversations happen, you know, we get questions like, well, why don't we have a daddy, you know? And, and all these questions are really, really scary as a parent. Like even for me, like being donor conceived, I, I know the bond I've got with my dad and I know the kind of relationship I've got with Jonathan, which is totally different, 
but I still makes me think, well, right, how are we going to deal with this now with, with, with Quinn and Adia, our children, and make sure that we're kind of um, doing it, doing it the right way, I suppose. But yeah, I think that these are all sort of quite normal things to kind of go through as parents. A hundred percent. And we try so hard to do it all right as parents, whatever it is. I mean, it doesn't have to be donor conception things like it can be just like, am I teaching them to like food correctly? Like, am I teaching them to be kind people? Like all these things that we're trying to teach our kids to raise them and, and we're probably going to make mistakes and we're probably going to screw it up and we're just doing the best that we can do. And I, I love what you said about everyone feels differently about being donor conceived. Everyone has their own feelings, perceptions, how that comes about, whether they were late discovery, early discovery. And it goes back to, I think something that I experienced myself going through infertility and people, other people going through infertility is we lose so much control or Mm -hmm. we think we lose so much control going through infertility that by choosing the right donor or deciding to use a donor to raise our family, like that we are able to control things about our kids. And that's a false sense of control because they are their own people. And no matter, we can do everything right. And they still might not love that their donor conceived or struggle with that, or they might not even care. Like we could have spent all this time, like trying to make it perfect and right. And all these things. And they're like, doesn't matter to me, like not impacted. And we, we just aren't going to know that about our kids. We can't control who they are or how they're going to turn out or what they're going to think. No, I a hundred percent. And it's why, you know, I, I follow accounts that I don't necessarily have the same opinions as me, you know, donor conceived people and recipient parents, you know, across the spectrum, but I do keep following them and listening to what they say. I always read their posts and because I suppose ultimately I know how I feel as an individual being donor conceived, but I don't, my, my children are going to be different to me. And that's kind of, for me, that's probably been my biggest challenge is separating how I feel um, Mm. and and maybe how our children will feel. So I don't know, you know, Quinn and Adia might be at one end of the spectrum or the other or somewhere in between. And um, I suppose, like I say, going back to what we've sort of discussed now is just making sure that we're trying to be there for them and support them, you know, and, and those feelings of whether that's um, upset or cur- your curiosity or, um, or whatever, whatever feeling it may be that they've got, I suppose it's kind of, and then that will change probably as they get older and have different stages and <laughs> the teenage years. And because, you know, even my, going back to my experience between, it's only eight years since I've known and in those eight years as an adult have been, lots of ups and downs and lots of different feelings of emotions and things. So I suppose for our children, it's going to be, um, they're going to go on their own journey, aren't they? From, yeah. from birth, you know? So um, it's just being, being mindful of, of, of the ups and downs, isn't it? And, and just being with our kids through those processes. Yes. And being willing to give them the space that they need to explore those things and to have those experiences and, to love them anyway. Right. Like that it's okay. If you're not loving this part of who you are or your life right now, I still love you, but it's okay to, to share that versus, you know, I think sometimes I've seen and have heard of parents making their kids feel bad for how they feel or, um, 
not willing to talk about it with their kids or how their kids are really feeling about it. And I think that can come from a the parents own fear and shame and guilt that they haven't worked through again, going back to doing the work yourself. Mm-hmm. But I think in our family, that's one thing that we really try to do is just open up the space to feel how you feel and that it's okay. And it's being mindful of some of the, the responses back. Like, I mean, one of the ones we talk about a lot in the community is like the, yeah, but you were so wanted phrase and things like that, which, you know, um, for me on a personal level, um, I know I was wanted and I, you know, I'm incredibly grateful to be here because really, if you look at it on black and white, I, I was born, you know, when IVF was brand new, I had t- two infertile parents. <laughs> I had, um, you know, my genetic father's a gay man. So the chances of me actually, you know, I was born premature. I was, I had, you know, problems with my lungs when I was born. I had loads of all these complications. <laughs> so I'm incredibly grateful to be here. But I think, um, sometimes when donor conceived people sort of say, well, you know, I may be feeling X, Y, and Z, you know, a negative, maybe emotion or something that's not overly overwhelmingly positive it's met with. Yeah, but you were so wanted. And, um, it, it's kind of, it's not so much the phrase you were so wanted because I know I'm wanted, but it's that kind of retort to anything that's negative about being donor conceived. And I think that's the kind of fine line, which, you know, some of the things I talk about in my posts and things like that, it doesn't seem like a big difference, but when it's, it's the context in which those phrases sometimes are used. And I think that I'm very mindful now with our children that, you know, I wouldn't use that kind of phrase with them if they came back and said, oh, you know, I'm really sad that we haven't got a dad or anything like that. And I wouldn't then turn around and say, yeah, but you were so wanted um, is like a retort. Um, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but those are like little things that I've kind of tried to, I think having lived the experience I've had being donor conceived that I'm kind of trying to turn around a little bit within our family. I love that. It makes complete sense to me because I think that phrase you were so wanted is true, right? It's a true, true phrase. I need more coffee too. Um, (laughs) But that piece of truth doesn't negate the feelings that the donor conceived person is having. It doesn't take away from those feelings or make someone sit like when you say that to, to someone it's dismissing or pushing aside the feelings that they're having versus embracing those feelings and wanting to know more about those feelings and why they're having those feelings. It, it's a both thing. But I think when a parent responds that way, it's, that's their defense, right? It's their Mm -hmm. like justification for the decisions that they made versus Mm -hmm. getting into that uncomfortable space of, tell me more about why you're feeling that way or whatever, because as the parent having made these big decisions that impact these children and, you know, adults, these humans, again, we can get defensive about those decisions. If we haven't worked through some of those feelings that led us to that decision-making. So I love that you bring that up because I think it for the parents, it's very true. You are so wanted. But it's also then stepping into the feelings that your child is having or that your adult child is having about mm. this part of who they are. Yeah, no, and I sometimes try and flip the sort of situation 
say like if you've got a recipient parent that's tried for many years to have children um, and, you know, you see it a lot on infertility posts, you know, people make comments all the time that are a bit insensitive and things like that. So someone may have, you know, sadly experienced a miscarriage and someone, one of their friends may well say, well, don't worry, you can always try again. It's that kind of dismissive yeah. response to someone's, you know, yeah, it's true. You can try again, um, but that doesn't take away the fact that you've experienced a miscarriage and you're feeling really, um, you know, distraught over it. Um, and it's to say, you know, I know it's a totally different context, but it's kind of like those kind of sometimes those comments, even though they may be true, like the so wanted comment, um, if it's used in certain contexts or, you know, it, it, it can come across as being dismissive and not mm-hmm. actually listening to what's actually happening with that individual. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but that's the, I don't know whether it's like I say in, in reality, it's really hard because like you say, as a parent, you, sometimes you don't want to go down those routes of the conversation because it can be upsetting or you, you don't want to think that you've, you know, any, anything that we've done as parents is, is, is upset our kids or, or made them feel anything other than, you know, really positive. But I think it is important to listen to them, you know, and kind of work through that together. Yeah. Yep. For sure. So I'm going to switch topics on us a bit and start talking a little bit about sharing with your kids and, and telling them from the beginning that they're donor conceived. So your kids are five, mine are six. Um, How have you and your wife talked about or shared their conception story with them? Yeah. So we started from birth, really just reading storybooks. Um, They've been a real um, a huge help actually getting us comfortable as parents talking about the story because it can be really uncomfortable a bit awkward at first um so we've we've read lots of great books and if um any of your listeners follow obviously yourself and me we've talked about like what makes a baby is a great mm-hmm. book donor conception network do some really good story books for lots of different family setups so um our bookshelves looking quite um quite busy with lots of different family books uh, which has been great um so we, we've done that but more recently obviously our children are now five sort of going on six so we're getting more um you know the different types of questions and a bit more pressing so we've had you know we've we've had the like why don't we have a daddy question and things like that um and I think initially our response would have been well you have two mummies which they do um that is our family um, and I think it's important to, you know, talk about different families and how different families are made. But I suppose what we've tried to do more recently is kind of use that as an opportunity. So if the question comes up about dads or other families having dads or different types of families, we've kind of then said, right, well, that, you know, you do have two mummies, but there is a man that helped mommy and mama to make you. Um, have you got any questions about that person? And even if we can't answer the questions, it's kind of, I suppose that the hope is that our children realize that actually they can ask questions and not feel like it's going to upset us. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment, um, Mm -hmm. kind of inviting those questions forward from our kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same for us. We started off reading amazing children's books, one to just help ourselves get comfortable talking about it. Um, And then two, just to bring up the conversation in, in an easy to flow way. I, I like to say, I think my six-year-olds are probably one of the most educated six-year-olds on how babies are made, but not yeah. through sex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you don't have to talk about sex, do you? Like that, I think that's the misconception a lot of the time, ironically. With, it um, is. People think, oh no, I can't talk to, you know, can't talk to my kids about 
you know sex and all that kind of stuff and you're like well you don't have to like I mean we've chosen in our family to talk about egg sperms and you know body to grow it in and uh, uteruses yeah. and things like that um and, and it's worked quite well like, our kids are pretty good like and I, I feel I feel quite um quite confident actually that they they know their story quite well in that sense um and it's given them a good foundation but yeah like I say it's some people sort of think oh no you, <laughs> you can't talk about that <laughs> Totally. Like I actually was just thinking the other night, um, cause one of my girls and I were reading one of our books, um, happy together. It's one of our favorites. She was like, Oh mom, I know how a baby's made. You go to the doctor and then the doctor helps. And then there's a lady who helped you. And, and then, you know, they, they put the egg and the sperm together and then they put it back inside you. But how do they put it back inside you? Like through your belly button <laughs> and and I, you know, talked about it. And then I thought to myself, man, I'm going to have to figure out how to talk to them about actual sex. Yeah. Because, like, <laughs> they don't have any, like, hmm, I think I need to start figuring that part out now that they're getting a little older. Anyway, I think it's, it's funny, but also agree that, you know, to, to be able to have those conversations with your kids and for them to really know where they came from or how that happened from an early age. I mean, time will tell, right? What that will, yeah, how that will translate for them. And, and having twins, I think it's going to be interesting because, you know, I have two girls and a lot of times people see two girls and they think like, oh, they're the same person, but actually they are two very completely different people mm-hmm. who think differently, learn differently, function differently, have different personalities and, but are being raised in the same house with the same parents and to watch both of them have different perspectives as they grow up, maybe will they have different perspectives of being donor conceived or will they ha- share similarities or again, it kind of goes back to how they were raised, but even then it's kind of who they are as people, right? What yeah. they think. Well, even just having twins, isn't it? You, you probably know at home, Ada, didn't you? Like they can be so different. Even like you say, they have the same toys, they have the same experiences um you know the same stories read to them but they may feel very differently about anything in life so it is it will be interesting to see how that um how that pans out and I think the other thing to acknowledge as well there's not a lot of um historical research out there that looks at actually the specifics of telling and how that impacts our children obviously a lot of the old research um, I say old because donor conception isn't really that old in terms of what they've looked at in the research but the last few decades has looked at whether or not it's, it's important to tell which mm-hmm. I think most people obviously are in agreement now that it is important to tell from from as young as possible but it will be interesting like um there's a research called Patricia um her I think it's her Bersha excuse me Patricia if I've said your surname <laughs> wrong but she's done the towel in over in over with yourselves in oh, America uh-huh. Yep. They're doing a lot of research into actually the, the real specifics about what things work, what things work well, you know, feedback from parents. And then I think she's hoping to get some feedback from the Teltal, um study that it's doing with actual donor conceived people, you know, later on in, in the research program. But that will be really interesting to see, because at the moment, yes. I know we always say, you know, get your storybooks and tell early and often. But um, it would be really nice to see some actual uh, research uh, like what does work well like you know like say with the storybooks I know the donor conception network did one piece of research quite recently on their our storybooks which was sh- shown to help parents significantly in, in the telling process but um, I think over the next 10 years it's going to be hopefully 
more and more research done into this area and what actually works and what doesn't so well, I suppose. Yeah, versus us just trying to figure it yeah. out as we That's go. muddling along and listening to people on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and podcasts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, as we start to wrap up our time together, which, man, I could talk to you forever, um, you know, offline, you and I were talking about how we both really are passionate about making things better for the future of donor conceived kids and advocating for donor conceived people and, and parents and, and making things, you know, easier, better, more informative for, for recipient parents as well. So can you talk to us a little bit, share with, with everyone, some of the work that you're doing and how people can find you? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So um, obviously my account, um, I'm on Instagram, but I'm recently just having a website built, actually. So that's going to be coming live, hopefully, in a few weeks time called allthingsdonorconception.com. So my Instagram isn't as easy to remember. I didn't think too hard when I set this (laughs) up. So you might have to put a link in your podcast because people will be like, what? Um, So it's DCP underscore journey underscore to underscore RP, which in normal speak is donor conceived person's journey to a recipient parent. Um, but it's not the easiest to remember. So by all means, anyone can find me over there on Instagram. Like I say, my my website should be up soon. And um, I've got an email address on there. So all things donorconception.com. Um, and yeah, just come say hi. I've, I've got a lot of stuff on my profile and um, I'm hoping to have lots of information on uh, my website as well. Some sort of help and advice for parents. So and can you talk a little bit about your um, your freebie that you have available, your PDF download? Yeah, sure. So I about a year ago, I started what was called the Nugget Series, which was just lots of um, little tips and hints and sort of resources that I found helpful as a parent of donor-conceived children. And um, so I, I decided this year just to sort of lump some of those together in, in like a downloadable resource. So you can get that. It's a, like I say, it's completely free. You sign up um, with your email and I'll, I'll send that across to yourselves. Um, a couple of pretty pictures and things like that in there. And it's also, I had, I was really fortunate. I had the lovely Julianne Boutaleb, who is a perinatal psychologist over here in the UK, helped me with quite a few of those nuggets. Um, so yeah, you can download it. Like I say, I hope it'll be on my website, but it's also down as a link in my bio on, um, on Instagram. So awesome. It's really good, you guys. So definitely go and check it out. It's a resource I've been using and checking out. So um, I will link your Instagram. I'm going to link your website. I'm going to link um, to your freebie so that everyone can find you and they can um, they can get that resource because it's really good. And I'm super excited about your website. That's Thank a big you. deal. That's a lot of work. Yeah. So good job. Yeah, it's, it's um, I'm hoping to kind of obviously add to it as I go along. But um, like I said, even if parents have got, you know, I love hearing from other people and donor conceive people too. You know, if there's anything that you think is, is a really good resource or something, um, you know, just sharing information because that's one of the reasons I started talking a bit more openly about my story is just to try and give a bit more information out there into the world and um you know I'm never going to sit here and I would never tell someone they should or shouldn't be doing something certainly when it comes to their own family building journey but I feel really passionate passionately about people making informed choices mm-hmm. um so hopefully the more information that's out there then people can, can make those informed choices. So, (laughs) yeah. And I've got one more question for you before we end, which is 
if you are heading into using a donor or considering using a donor or already have donor conceived kids, what's one piece of advice or a tip or a trick that you would share um, to make that decision better, easier or um, to get more information? What's, what's your advice you might have for, for someone listening? I think if you're in the sort of decision-making stage, so if you're still looking to maybe start your family using a donor and looking at your choices, um, I would just look a little bit more in depth about the type of donor that you're going to use. So whether that's, um, you know, fully anonymous or open ID. Um, and like I say, I would always say if you have the opportunity in your country to use an open ID or a known donor, um, it, I would say try and do that just because it leaves more options open to you and your future children. Um, and I would always, I obviously know that in some countries, you know, that isn't always an opportunity for some people, but I would always sort of urge people to kind of look into those options a bit more carefully and do your homework a little bit on the clinics and the sperm banks, especially when it comes to things like um, sibling family numbers, where the donor is used, what country it's used in, because even though your country may have a family limit, um, if you're using a donor that's used not in just solely within your country those mm -hmm. family limits don't mean anything necessarily so um just just really do your homework would be my would be my advice um and don't always rely on the information that the sperm banks and the egg banks are giving you look look sort of a bit wider um and if you're already parenting i would think i would say definitely seek support from other people i think um, whether that's, you know, on a very basic level with other people on Instagram or Facebook groups, I think they can be a really good source of support. Um, and don't ever feel like you're alone or, or, or worry. And don't worry that you, you don't have to do everything at once. I think sometimes parents panic that, you know, they've got a two year old and they, they haven't bought a donor conception book yet. And, or I haven't, you know, my kid's 10 and, you know, we, we've barely spoken about the donor and all these things. Don't try not to get too wrapped up in the worry about doing everything straight away and maybe just even but just by listening to this podcast you know you're probably further ahead in your thinking maybe than you maybe were a year ago and things like that so just go easy on yourself is what I'd say because sometimes it, you can feel like you're you're not doing enough when you you probably are if you're listening to podcasts like this. So. Oh I love that that is such good advice on on both fronts thank you Thank you so much for being here. You have been amazing. I've had so much fun talking to you. And I just encourage everyone who's listening to go find Haley and follow her. She is a wealth of knowledge and um, and I highly recommend her. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. And thanks for everyone for, for listening. And yeah. Sticking with <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's it for our episode today. I will see you next time on Infertility Crossroads. Before you go, I have a few things I want to share with you. Continue the conversation with me on my Instagram page at Maida Getman. I love connecting with people and I would love for you to join me there at M-E-T-A-G-E-T-M-A-N on Instagram. If you just learned that using a donor might be your path to becoming a parent, or if you have an inkling that donor conception is the path for you, head to my website, www.medagetman.com slash podcast and download my free PDF donor decision guide. This resource is packed full of questions to consider if you are even thinking about using a donor. That's medagetman.com slash podcast. Lastly, 
I am not a doctor, a psychologist, a nutritionist, or a professional in the area of fertility. I am a person who has gone through infertility, has learned a lot along the way, and wants to share my learnings with you. Please do not substitute what you hear on the show for professional advice. That's what the pros are for. If you want to learn more about my terms and conditions, go to my website, madeagetman.com.